Welcome back to episode 24 of the Tough Love Podcast. Today we have a really special guest. Beth Carter is here and she's a domestic adoptee and she had a career of being a dentist for a long time and has recently transitioned into becoming an adoption-focused therapist as a part of her journey of coming out of the adoption fog. And so Beth is here today to talk with us a little bit about that journey and her journey as an adoptee. Welcome, Beth. Thank you, Lauren. It's really exciting to be here. It's great to, great to be here with you all. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's so good to see you and to be with you. We actually all did a panel together for Raise the Future. And so we all have actually worked together in that capacity. So it's nice to be back. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey of adoption and how things started to unfold for you and, and maybe that shift of when you know, when you retired as a dentist and then you're like, actually, I want to do this second career and I want to actually focus on something that is really intimate in my life and maybe even, you know, exposed to you some of some pieces you weren't even aware of. Sure. And Lauren, I think you just articulated that perfectly in saying, you know, uh, coming out of the adoption fog and really processing our stories as adoptees is something that's so intimate and that's so profoundly a part of our sense of self and our lives. And, um, and yes, I, I, uh, I am an, a domestic adoptee. I was born in 1961, so I'm giving away my age there, but I was born in 1961. And, and back at that time, there was really a lot of shame surrounding single mothers or young mothers who were not married. And, uh, you know, that there, there was a lot of shame and isolation. And so, uh, I learned in my life um, much later that my biological mom, you know, really had a lot of trauma in her journey of becoming a mother. Um, and I was immediately given up. I was born in an orphanage and a home for unwed mothers and was immediately given up for adoption. And, you know, when I, I, uh, I grew up in a very loving family, I had wonderful adoptive parents. But like so many adoptees, I, I carried some pain and some trauma in my body and in my heart and in my mind. And, um, and I just, you know, as I, as I got older, I, I struggled with my sense of self and my identity. And um, most adoptees struggle with different aspects of their life. And I know you, you all talk about all the different pieces and every adoptee's story is so individual and it's so um, important to that person, but we all share so many distinct experiences. And one of them is trauma. We, we all, all adoptees are born in, in loss and separation. Uh, our very, very first experience of life is one of loss of attachment, of uh, a trauma. And, uh, and so, yes, so that, that played a role in me as I, as I kind of lived my life. I got some very wonderful and life-changing counseling in my life. And, and it, was, it was absolutely instrumental in helping me understand 
that trauma and how it's affected me in my life and my own journey. And when it came time to retire, I was kind of like, well, I could retire and play golf or tennis or, you know, sit around or, or maybe I could help some people in a new way. I, and I loved my career as a dentist, but I kind of chose to, to kind of use some of the very, very interesting and profound, uh, to me, fascinating. And partly because it's me, my story, but I think um, the neurobiology of attachment and all the, all the things that happen to, to babies and, and infants and children when they're separated from their mothers, it's such an important part of, of an adoptee story. And we're learning so much about how that affects the mind and body that um, I was just fascinated by it. So it's something that I wanted to pursue. So instead of lounging, I decided to, uh, to start a new career and, and I, I don't regret it at all. I'm, I'm enjoying it. And I, and I just graduated recently. So it's very new, but, but, uh, but I'm loving all that I'm learning and, and helping others with. Yeah, I think that really points to this idea of, you know, just because we're done a career doesn't mean a whole brand new part of life can't start. It can't begin. And I think you're really modeling that. And even as an adult adoptee, I imagine there's a lot of people out there like, oh, it's too late for me to go see a therapist. Oh, it's too late for me to, to do this trauma work of like, oh, I'm already set in my ways. And what I love about the brain is the malleability. And at any time, any age, we can get help, get support, find a community. There's no rules. Um, what we know now, there's no like, I mean, there are some rules, but you know, it's never too late to heal. And so I love um, that you you bring that with you in, in your journey. Um, I have a question about the research you've done and your studies and what have you found to be the most impactful and helpful piece of information out there that now really guides your work today? Well, I, I did do quite a bit of research on um, the neurobiology of attachment, and it's just fascinating stuff to me. And I think the key piece that is like the take home piece of, of what a lot of what the most current neurobiology of attachment is, is that we used to look at birth, um, the whole entire birth experience, the argument has always been nature versus nurture. You know, and that, that, that speaks to adoption. You know, how much of who you are, Lauren, or Glenna, or Deontay, how, who are you, how, how much of that is just genetic, and how much of that is environment? And so that has always spoken to kind of how we look at adoption, how much of that is just, you know, innate genetics, biology, and um, you know, there's been so many studies on twins that are separated and triplets and things like that to try and kind of tease out what's nature and what's nurture. Well, in some of the, uh, in a lot of the research, the neurobiology research that I reviewed and in, in what I was working on during my studies is that they actually are kind of getting away from that two-pronged look at things of nature versus nurture. Now we actually look at it as biopsychosocial, which means birth is its biology and it's also environment, but the key piece is relationship. That relationality is an absolutely fundamental part of how we develop in our nervous system, in our brain, 
and in our body. And so that relationship with mother is forming even in utero. There's attachment that's already occurring in utero, which is why the separation of adoption of adoption can be so profound. That, you know, even when you are are, you know, adopted by a loving family, and that's I don't want to minimize or um, not highlight how vitally healing and important an adoptive family can be. It's, it's crucial and it's wonderful. And, and, and an adoptive parents are so important. Um, but a relationship has already formed between baby and mom. And that relationship actually plays a very, very impacting role in the developing brain. And, and we are finding that that even has a role in the development of self, that, that infants are already creating a sense of who they are and their sense of self and identity before they're even born. And it's about relationship with mom. And, and a lot of it is, you know, um, in utero environment too, you know, when mom is, is stressed or, you know, drugs or shame or, all the different things that can affect the baby in utero. There's so many pieces. That's the environmental piece. So we have the biological piece, the genetics. We have the environmental piece. And then the other piece, the key, other key piece that we haven't looked at is relationship and how relationship affects how biology and environment are expressed in a child. And then in a developing human can have a, have a role all throughout life. I really appreciate you kind of uh, laying out all those points. Um, I found it really interesting specifically how um, you brought in the biopsychosocial uh, lens and how, you know, it's not just um, biology, but it's also your socialization and your chemicals that make up kind of who you are. So I really appreciate you highlighting uh, those three things that encompass the biopsychosocial. Thank you. I know. And it's, yeah, you, you know, we've always looked at it as so black and white, you know, there's this piece and then there's this piece, but then kind of the overarching thing that's affecting both of those is relationship and, and how important that is and, and how we develop. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a key piece. And it's really, it's really fascinating, I think. And um, so, and it's important for, for all infants and children, but specifically adoptees, because that, first relationship with their mother has been broken. So there's been a big loss in relationship immediately um, or, or early in life, you know? And so, and, and for adoptees who are adopted at birth, that loss is pre-verbal. Um, so it's, it's, it's in the body, you know, your body remembers and, and you know, you, it, it can be hard to access, it can be hard to talk about, it can be hard to even know that it's, it's playing a role in your life when it's not something that you've heard about before. It can be something that you just kind of carry, like we've talked about before, you know, that so many adoptees carry kind of some, some pain and some grief and some loss from the loss of their biological family. And it can be very deep, it can be very somatic, 
in the body. And, and a big piece of that is, is loss of that relationship. So it's, it's fascinating stuff. I want to speak to this relationship piece and how it's inside of a relationship. Trauma occurs, but it's also inside a relationship where the healing must happen. And how, um, for me, my journey has been healing like with myself and the relationship with myself and how healing that's been for me to uncover and unearth this trauma that I was completely unconscious of and how that relationship with myself now allows me to heal in relationship with others, particularly romantic partners, um, family members, and just friends in general. I'm able, I have a different capacity to understand myself and to understand others inside relationships. So there's a really big importance here as you say relationship like yes that's it's everything um inside of that container 100 percent. that's that's so accurate and yes we're born into relationship and that's how how we heal just just what you just said we heal in relationship and in relationship with ourselves and so understanding this and acknowledging it and processing it and working our way through it is such a an important part of healing, of everybody's healing journey, I think. And everybody's healing journey is unique and we all have our own ways of processing it and healing it. But the, the unifying factor is that loss of relationship, that loss of attachment that's so important and that plays such a role. So then that kind of leads into my question, given what you know now about um, attachment and um, all the things that you've been studying, how has relationships or how has your adoption trauma impacted your relationships? And I'm not asking for like every single relationship. Uh, if you wanna just kind of summarize it, that would be fine. I think um, that's a great question. And I think it's one of, the, one of the ways that I discovered that adoption, that my adoption played a role in my life and was was a part of me when I struggled in relationships and uh, I would struggle with fear of loss. And, um, you know, we know so much about trauma now and, and emotional triggers and emotional triggers so many times come from early pain, early trauma, early losses that we experience and that, you know, kind of replay in your life. and. Um, and you're absolutely right, Deontay, in, in my relationships, in my adult life, I struggled with um, being very anxiously attached to people, you know, being very afraid of, of loss and, and, and the loss of a relationship felt absolutely devastating to me. Um, just, you know, profoundly devastating. And, and it was in it, and as I said, I, I learned in some of my own counseling that because it was triggering these very, very deep wounds of, of loss and separation that were just so hard for me to, to live with and to handle emotionally, it took me a long time to learn how to kind of be in myself and, and understand that, you know, I could survive things and I, I could handle separations and losses and and uh, breakups, <laughs> things like that. You know, it was so hard for me um, because it triggered a very deep wound. 
And I think that's not unusual for a lot of adoptees to really struggle with separations. Um, they feel they feel like forever. They feel like, you know, I will never recover from this this separation or emptiness. Um, it can really trigger those deep wounds. Could you talk a little bit more about healing from that? Because that's something that I'm experiencing quite a lot, is that fear of loss and being pretty early on, I guess, in my own adoption journey and healing. Um, so either just instances you remember where you realized you were really healing or things that you remember doing or anything along those lines of just healing. Yeah, to help heal from that and to learn some coping skills or learn how to cope with that. So, and, and um, I want to really kind of acknowledge what you're saying that, you know, you're experiencing some of that and it is so common for adoptees. It's just, it's a, it's a part of our life. It's something that we carry. And um, for me, no, just knowing that this was coming from a deeper wound that was so early in my life helped to give me a little bit of separation from the pain. Being able to kind of look at it with a little bit of separation where it's not just engulfing you. And I think, you know, when you've had some experience with emotional triggers that are so flooding, when you feel that pain of loss that's hitting you, that's so deep and it's just in your whole body and you feel like you just can't even survive it to, to just, for me, even that understanding that this is where it's coming from gives me that little bit of separation that can make that pain a little bit less intense where you can kind of observe it a little bit. I really, really like um, uh, Kristen Neff. Um, I don't know if you've ever read any of her work, but she is a PhD uh, um, and has done a great deal of research on self-compassion. I highly recommend her books. And just um, giving yourself compassion can be so healing. Um, looking at that, the pain that you're experiencing and giving it, giving yourself the kindness and compassion that you would give your child or your friend, or you know any other loved one. Um, because unfortunately, so many times adoptees live with this feeling of worthlessness because you kind of feel like you were discarded. You feel like you were thrown away. And we, we many, many, many adoptees, and I can't speak for everyone, but many adoptees carry a feeling of, I deserve to be thrown away because you were, because we were. We were, we were abandoned, we were left, we, were, um, we had that loss and separation from our biologic parents. So many times we carry that and um, giving ourselves the compassion that we would give any other loved one or friend. Um, I'm not doing Kristen Neff justice. Uh, read her books, they're, they're fabulous. Uh, her, self her books on compassion and self-compassion are, are fabulous um, as far as giving yourself that kindness it helps, it helps to kind of heal some of that. And knowing that it's in your body too, I think doing some body work, um, somatic work where, you know, I think yoga is fantastic. I myself am a runner. I've been a runner my whole life and it, it's very healing for me. Yes. 
So, um, you know, anything like that, that really connects you deeply to your body, where you can kind of really um, connect that mind body, that mind body connection. Um, and then when you pull in that relationship piece too, relationship with yourself too, it's all, um, it's very healing. So those are some, hopefully some helpful hints. Thank you for those. I think you're pointing to some really important things. And something I learned in grad school was that we are always unconsciously replaying our traumas until we make them conscious. And so if you're someone who was abandoned or, you know, I've worked with clients who are literally left in a field on a stoop. Um, so like quite literally abandoned, left to die also. And when we don't have language for it, then what happens is we often look for that in our partners to replay it so we can get it right is this idea that our nervous system and our brain want to heal. So we repeat it, but what's happening is we are actually recreating the trauma and not healing because it's, we don't have awareness of it. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, I feel like we all have backgrounds in this, so this might make sense for us, but really I think the idea is that until we're aware of it, can name it, that it'll just keep replaying, where we keep dating the same person in a different body, but the same personality over and over and over again, because we're not listening to what we really need. And we're not getting that like, hello, you know, we've done this before and how that actually comes from us and within us, our relationship to ourselves. And not it's not about the other person, even though our society seems to agree that it's, oh, it's them. It's external when really it's all it's all internal. Absolutely. Um, your unconscious will rule your life until it becomes conscious. Until we bring those that trauma into our consciousness, our unconscious will, will make those decisions for us. And as you said, um, many adoptees choose people that are destined to leave them because we feel leavable. And, uh, we f and, and you know, you said, you know, you, you've worked with individuals who were, you know, left in a field to die or whatever, but for all adoptees, there because that separation happened and that relationship was so important with mother that's biologic, almost all adoptees feel that way, you know, have that experience of I was left to die, you know, I was left alone, I was left. Um, and and so yeah, it you know that it, it's it's something that so many carry. And and you're absolutely right. Well, our unconscious will kind of call to replay that. Um, until we start to get some awareness of it and, and start to heal it within ourselves. All of it is, is internal work, for sure. It's, it's hard to do. I'm reading this book about growth and how oftentimes we don't realize that a lot of the growth is the plateau. And it's actually the, we can't figure it out. We can't, the guy compared it to playing tennis and learning all the tiny pieces that are so crucial to hitting the ball. Um, posture, wrist stuff, like eye, hand coordination. And I talk about this a lot with the parents that I work with where I tell them, I give them instructions and they try it and it doesn't work. And they're like, but I'm trying so hard. And I'm like, yes, you are, but you have to keep going and keep trying. I think a lot of us give up before we actually see the work play out. So I'm about, you know, I'm over a decade in to the, to like doing some uncovering um, 
and I feel like I'm at the beginning at the same time, even though I'm so far into it and so deep and I know so much, the actual application every day is still quite challenging. The other day we were at a, my partner and I were at a party and I still was in the bathroom crying with him like, oh, I have, I was triggered and now I'm here and I'm sad and I have fear. And luckily like my partner is amazing and he's there to support me and love me and take care of me. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, I wish this wasn't happening. Or when is this going to stop happening? Or when is this, you know, the last seven years of, you know, from Naropa, when is this work going to really integrate? And it is integrating because back in the day, I would have gotten angry and it would have came out sideways. And now I can say, I need help. Come with me. And I can ask for support. And I have to remember that that's the work, that that's the journey and that bringing it all back to the relationship with self, like that's it. Um, even though it's really hard sometimes. I want to acknowledge what you just said. It's so accurate. And that really speaks to, um, because this trauma is so early and that's where, you know, uh, people say, oh, but you know, if you were adopted at birth or as an infant, um, you can't even remember. And so, you know, you had this loving family and everything's great. And that is incredibly healing. I mean, if it wasn't for my wonderful, fabulous um, adoptive parents, you know, I wouldn't have the capacity to, to learn all this and work with all this. I, I was given such a, a loving environment, but that trauma is so deep. And that's kind of what you're speaking to is that, you know, those neural pathways are so deep in there that it, that's why it's very hard to access and it's very hard to heal. That's why it takes so much work because it's so deep and pre-verbal. So it's hard to put words to it. Um, that's why that body connection can be so helpful too. And it sounds like you have a loving partner who can hold you and that's helpful. And all those, you know, those that, you know, that's so helpful because it, it is, it's so deep. I did take a minute there. <laughs> uh, thank you for, for speaking so deeply and vulnerably about everything it's just I always get caught thinking about our listeners while we're making these podcasts and how impactful it must be for them so thank you so much for just speaking for them um I have a question what is it like being adopted working with adoptees like how does that how does that feel and is it ever like do you ever find it overwhelming and if it is how do you deal with that I can speak to that. Um, I remember when I first decided I was going to work with adoptees and when I also decided to work with children, something that I never thought I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to work with addiction and because that played such a large role in my life. And then I got to grad school. The universe had a different plan for me. And I remember in supervision, um, as a light or when you're on the track to becoming licensed, you're required to have a supervisor. And so when I would meet with my supervisor, I remember one day breaking down and being like, why did I think this was a good idea? I'm literally reopening, cutting open a wound every day in session, sometimes five clients back to back and, un and like literally just reopening this deep, deep wound of mine. And then I have to stay regulated. I have to stay connected to my body inside of this container because that's my job as a therapist. And I remember 
saying, I actually don't think this is what I want to do. I remember actually being really close to saying, actually, please don't market me as the adoption therapist because this is really hard. And she actually gave me a really beautiful tool where I would wear a scarf during my session. So literally I could take it off. It was just this um, tangible taking off the trauma and I would leave my scarf in my office and I would you know come back to it the next day and I'd put it on you know it became a ritual for me and then I get home and I you know I do a little feather bath the sage and I found my tools to help me but at the beginning of my journey I found it really hard now I can walk into a playroom and I'm like that's theirs I know it's mine and I know it's theirs and I know how to stay attached to myself um, but it was definitely not easy at the beginning. And uh, Beth, can you can you speak to that at all? I don't I don't know how far along you're on with your school journey and everything, but right. And you know, and I am still working with a supervisor, and I have have worked with some adopted individuals already, and I'm just really beginning my journey with working with them. But um, I do think that that's where. Uh, Maybe my age is helpful, you know, that I am so much older and, and I have been on my healing journey for many, many years, you know, several decades already. So, you know, I, I, I have a lot of healing um, already. Uh, so, so just to kind of um, piggyback on what Lauren said, um, you know, I, I do know what's mine um, and I know, I know what is the client's and um I think for me, because counseling was so helpful for me in processing my pain and, and understanding my own experience, my own lived experience, um, I just really hold on to that. I know how helpful it's been for me. And so I really would, I really enjoy, enjoy is a bad word. Um, I really love and honor helping others you know, through that, that trauma too. And so uh, I, I kind of hold on to that. Um, and it's, and it is hard. And, and when you do see someone really kind of come out of the fog, when they start to make those connections, it's, um, it's profound and it's life-changing. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's, it's just important. And um and so many of the, the traumas that we've experienced as adoptees are, you know, to other, to a, to a different extent, you know, affect so many people. So I just think, you know, understanding our, all of our journey and, you know, just helping people along in their life journey is just so important. And then I can speak to this just a little bit in my work, um, uh, mentoring like youth, I will say it's, quite different because many of them like I have seen grow up and I have uh, really strong relationships with their parents and so it's like they feel like family to me in a way um but it is nice to watch them and see like the things that they um have struggled with and know hey man like I've been there before so I get that I've seen how your how these attachment challenges kind of manifest. And so it is nice, but at the same time, it can also feel like I'm uh, looking in a mirror at my own challenges. 
essentially as they get into like the middle school, high school age, where the anger and all those big feelings start to really uh, manifest. So yeah. And I want to kind of um, highlight what you just said, Deante, because um, research that I did in my uh, master's program uh, examined those feelings that come up in adolescence and early adulthood for adoptees that that's where oftentimes these big feelings really do come up because a small child kind of developmentally will accept the identity of an adopted adopted person and just kind of take that in stride and just kind of move along and be doing all their little kid things that they need to do and you get to you know adolescence and early adulthood and identity becomes such a big deal and all of a sudden some of these wounds can really start to manifest and express so exactly as you said that that can be a really big thing and um so yeah that's an important time in life for a lot of adoptees so when a lot of these things start to come to light we actually, the three of us did a panel for heritage camps on that when, you know, 12, 13 arrives and all of a sudden your perfect child who was sweet to you is now yelling and screaming and only telling you how much they hate you and parents are shocked and surprised and it's exactly of what you are saying right now and explaining that switch and it's right, the brain development piece, as you mentioned, and then just understanding what does it actually mean to be adopted. And for me, it took me 24 years to get here. Um, and everyone, I think what we really try to highlight on this podcast is that everyone is at their own pace and you can't wake anyone up and you can't convince anyone adoption's trauma if they don't believe that. If you try to tell me adoption was trauma when I was 16, I would have laughed in your face. Um, and or something, I wouldn't have believed you. I would have said something snarky because I was really mean when I was 16. But it's just important for us to, um, to know that. And for our listeners, our parents especially, you know, you can't just show your kid this podcast and have them listen to it and then, and then expect them to be like, oh, right, okay, I see. I, everything makes sense now. You know, it's all about timing and it's all about our own personal journey and development. And I think it's important to point out too, you know, Lauren and Deontay, you both were talking about teenagers that get really angry and, you know, all of a sudden all these emotions are coming out, but equally dysfunctional is the overcompliant child who feels that they are not worthy of having emotion or expressing emotion. They feel that they need to earn their keep and are not allowed to express. And that can be every bit as dysfunctional and it's the other side of the coin. It's the other side of the coin of that identity struggle, where on the one hand, you've got the really angry acting out child, and on the other side, you've got the overcompliant child that uh, feels that they can't uh, express. And it's important to, to acknowledge that as a parent as well. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I say that a lot at my workshops of be equally as worried about your perfectionist kiddo than your angry kiddo because it's the same exactly as you said, it's just a different version of it. And it's the, I'm so hypo that if I were to say something to dysregulate anyone, oh my gosh, then are you going to abandon me, right? That's kind of the unconscious narrative that's happening. And again, a lot of this is unconscious, there's no awareness here. So it gets a little tricky 
or really tricky. It's very complex, actually, when we really think about it. And I think it takes a lot of courage and a lot of bravery to face these things and to work through them and to seek help and to seek support. So I'm proud of all of us for doing that and being on this journey. And everyone we've had on this podcast is doing incredible work and waking up in their own time. And that's what I love about this, this space. We're going to talk about it and normalize it. And there's no right and there's no wrong. It just is. We just are. We are who we are. And I love that. Beth, are there any last minute things that you would want to say to our audience? Thank you, Glenna. I was just going to say, I think Lauren said that just beautifully that, you know, we all are on our own journey and uh, it's important to honor that and, and uh, acknowledge that and allow it and allow all of us to experience what we need to experience. And I think that's, that's the big piece of it is just, you know, being able to feel all of the emotions and express all of the emotions is really key. But yeah, that it's, it's a journey and it's, um, it's, it's just a part of our lives and it's a part of who we are. And we have the power to tell that story in our own way. Each of us as individuals have the power to tell our life story. However, we choose to, to tell it. We can, we, can, uh, we can own our story, own our experience and use it for good. We all can do that. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today, Beth. It was so good to connect with you and to just hear you and your voice and your story. Thank you so much. It's just a joy to, to talk to all of you. I, I love it. I enjoyed it so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show, Beth. Oh, you bet. Yeah, I got to say, this is like the most warm and fuzzy feeling I've had after a podcast. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, you're so welcome. Yeah, so oh, beautiful. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I love the work that you're doing. It's important. It's powerful and it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we really appreciate that. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us for episode 24. We will see you on episode 25. And until then, we love you. Take care.